stop Ouija. I don't have enough arcane power. Where am I needed? I need fury, not enough hatred. Resupply here! Spawn more overlords. They're taking the point! I can't for me! Yes! Victory! Greetings, friends and fellow gamers. It is Ryan here with Not Enough Resources, episode 2. I've got my co-host Dylan here, and we are joined by Robert from Rogue's Portal. Guys, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? My name is uh, Dylan Scampy Twist, Merle Rayburn. I uh, like to play video games. I like to, to play on twitch.tv slash Scampy Twist. You can also find me at Twitter, at Scampy Twist. Perfect. Robert? Hi, I am uh, Robert Koffel. I write at Rogue's Portal. Um, I do everything from game reviews to comic book reviews and trying to get some more interviews and uh, con reviews going. But I, too, am a gamer. Perfect. 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 Well, it is great to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your week to join us. Um, so I want to start off with now playing what have you guys been playing what's what's in your playlist i uh i i got the star wars humble bundle um that was on sale i got that last week and uh i have been doing my first playthrough of the force unleashed um hacking and slashing my way through that it's been really nice i've had a lot of project deadlines and that has been my stress reliever what do you like about it? Is there anything in particular that you think makes it a successful Star Wars game as opposed to just a successful game? I, I think uh, it I, I mean it's it's a really like traditional hack and slash. I do like the fact that you can um, uh, customize your your Jedi uh, or Sith however however you want. Like my guy's really like all his points are in the lightsaber skill and and a lifesteal ability. Um, and I haven't really played another Star Wars game that really lets me do that outside of uh, Jedi Outcast 2. So that was really nice, uh, refreshing. Perfect, perfect. Robert, what have you been playing? I know I saw an article you wrote the other day about Ghost Recon. Yeah, I, I played the Ghost Recon beta over the weekend. It was, I think it was available uh, the 25th, the 26th, and the 27th. And that game took over my life. I um, I don't consider myself like a big Tom Clancy guy or a big Ghost Recon or tactical warfare guy. I'm, I, I like to think of myself as a pacifist. But I, I opened this game and it completely took me by surprise. Uh, the nature of the game is like you're on a revenge mission for a CIA operative. Um, one of her close friends and in the beta it just kind of alluded to the relationship it didn't uh go in depth as, as to what their relationship was but i'm assuming they're more than friends this cartel kills him and she uses her resources in the state department to pull in the ghost and then the ghost um the ghost uh they go over there and they just wreak havoc on this cartel and I mean, I know David, I'm, yeah, I'm call you out. Dave didn't like it very much, but I, I was all into it. And what I found most interesting about it was the, was a story. Um, what, what I, what I really enjoyed about the story was it, it felt a lot like Sicario. Um, in Sicario, Joshua Brolin's character is a CIA operative and he uses his Delta team and a few action sequences throughout the film. And it's all morally ambiguous and lots of gray area uh, in, in terms of morality and choices and everything. And that's really what the game is like because you're in South America and you're, you're doing these things for the CIA operative, but you're, I mean, sure you're trying to stop, stop the drug trade, but it feels like the missions that she sends you on are more to like fuck with the cartel. I'm, I don't know if I can say that or not. I hope I can. And then anything fine. else? Fine. Uh, she has you set someone up for, to look bad in front of the boss, and then she has you 
kidnap that person from being killed by the boss. And I was just like, what? So that that was interesting. And, and, and it does interesting things because not only that you were able to face two bosses or two, like, I guess, uh, high level contacts for the cartel, El, El Nino or El Sueño, uh, two of them were like just the most evil despotic uh, types of people who were in love, torture and everything. And that was the easy level that you could blow through. The next part was actually a really, really difficult, like it, it, the, the difficulty on that was like four stars as opposed to the first levels, one. And you had to capture an American ranger who had got injured in Afghanistan and had always been a troublemaker, but in the when he was in the army, he was able to sort of focus his aggression in a direction. But having to wash out of that, he wasn't able to focus in any other direction. So he became a mercenary and started working for this cartel, training them. And you have to take them down. And it it really touches on some topics that I thought were timely without getting too political. Nice, nice. And as far as the gameplay, does it play a lot like uh, Rainbow Six, like where there's things that are, you know, constantly blowing up and you can shoot through the walls and blow out buildings and things like that? So, um... So I'll, I'll talk a little bit. I, I was in the military for a little while. Um, the the game mechanics in terms of the rifles and the machine guns and the assault rifles and loading them and everything was the most realistic I've ever I've in a game I've played. I'm not saying that there are more realistic things out there or less realistic things out there. Just in my experience, when you run out of bullets, you have to clear the chamber, pull the mag out. Um, reload the mag and then cock the, uh, like put the bullet back into the chamber. It was, I was like, oh my goodness. I, I, I've never, and you, you, like in most games when you play them, like when you reload, you're taking out the magazine and just jamming it back in there and they're moving at a really fast pace. But even though these guys are, I guess, the highest level of special forces, it wasn't as quick as I'm used to. And so you had to be more methodical in the way you played. There are explosions. I, some things I didn't like, um, you can't do room entries. So in other Ghost Recon games, you could like line up against the wall and do tactical takedowns of a room. Uh, they don't let you do that. I was kind. I was actually. I wasn't kind of disappointed. I was very disappointed in that. And then um, they don't. They don't let you do that. I, I thought that was weird. Of course, there were some mechanic uh, game mechanic issues uh, because it was a beta, so like it would shut down sometimes. It would just randomly close. Uh, the interface with the Xbox was a little bit off. Uh, I'm assuming those are all beta issues. I enjoyed the story so much that I could forgive most of the mechanic issues. Um, and I, I enjoyed it so much, I spent $50 and pre-ordered it. And I actually cannot wait for it to come out. Nice. When does it come out? Uh, March 7th. Oh, so that's like right around the corner. That's awesome. I know. I know. I'm, I'm really excited. I, uh, it go, I guess it kind of goes against everything I stand for on a moral level, I guess, you know, playing a really violent war game about South America, but I'm willing to see what they do with the story and how they follow through on what they were talking about. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, the game I want to talk about that I've been playing, I got lucky and won a free copy of the original System Shock Remastered for the PC. So I've been going through that again, and I haven't played that game in probably 15 years. And it's just really interesting to see how Irrational has come, you know, from those ages of System Shock into their more modern games like Bioshock. And all of it's there in the DNA in System Shock, even though System Shock's a point-and-click with an incredibly cumbersome and weird interface by today's standards. But all of that DNA is there for the storytelling and, you know, the twists and the turns. And the, it's more RPG-based than I remembered, but that might just be 
me thinking like, oh, it's irrational games. I remember Bioshock. It was kind of like an RPG light, whereas this has RPG elements strewn throughout it. I mean, you have to manage an inventory and everything, but it's really refreshing to see where that the that groundwork was laid before we got you know the greatness that was Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. So I've been going through that, which has honestly been been a trip down memory lane, and it's kind of funny because it runs on DOSBox through my computer, so it boots super old school too. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the news. Um, there's been a lot that's happened over the past couple weeks because we are a bi-weekly show instead of a weekly show. That gives us more to pick and choose from. Um, the big news, of course, being that the Nintendo Switch is out in the wild and people are playing it and experiencing it. Um, unfortunately, none of us are those people, so we won't be talking very much about that aside from some more top-level stuff that has happened. Um, the big one that I want to touch on at the beginning of news is um, this Xbox Game Pass. So it's a $9.99 service that gives you access to hundreds of games on your Xbox and that's it. That's the entire thing. It's $9.99 a month, and you get access to 100-plus games. Okay, let's let's really go. Because I read your article, and I saw that. Um, I have an Xbox. That's that's what I play everything on. Razor Edge 757, you can find me there. My Xbox One slows down, and I, I, have, I came with the standard package in regards to memory. And if I have, like, a, like a little bit of memory space left, my Xbox functions horribly. Everything slows down. Everything is a mess. Like, and you have to constantly delete your games and put them on the cloud. So if you have access to hundreds of games, how is that going to work with the cloud drive and, and the way that works? That's just my question. Well, that's, that's the big question. Um, so if you have an Xbox, um, and Xbox Live. Microsoft does this thing called Xbox Live Games with Gold. And they give you four free games a month. And it can be, you know, anything. It's usually two Xbox 360 games, which are required to have backwards compatibility, and then two Xbox One games. So those games, when you download them, you keep them forever as long as you have an active Xbox Live account. So if your Xbox Live account lapses, right, then you'll still have those games on your hard drive, you just won't be able to play them. But if your Xbox Live account is active, they are free games. They just sit and you can play them whenever you want. And they're they're full games. These are not arcade games. These are full-blown games. In fact, Ironically enough, Dylan, um, Star Wars Force Unleashed was uh, one of the games in February. So like, That's funny. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you, you, they just give you free games. Now, it's unclear as to if Game Pass will work the same way, where it's $9.99 a month and you download it and you get unlimited access as long as you have that file on your hard drive. It might work similar to something like Netflix, where it's a very curated and regimented library of games that the publisher, in this case being Microsoft, determines what games are on the service and available. But it's not streaming games. It's a direct download. It downloads the entire game to your hard drive. So I think as long as you have the files, you should be able to play as long as you have an Xbox Live account. I'm imagining it will work very similar to Xbox Live games with gold. That's just a guess, though. I don't know, you know, the nitty gritty of that based on the press release and the, you know, couple paragraphs Microsoft put on their blog. Um, there are. I, go ahead. I don't I don't have have an Xbox, um, but my my big question with this is, let's say I uh, I download one one of the games, um, Force Unleashed, and I I play through most of it, um, and 
but I need some hard drive space. If I if I take it off, can I like keep my save file at least so that if I go back and re-download it, I still have my save file and continue off where I left off just because I wanted to try something different for a while or am I am I starting over every time? Uh, you shouldn't be starting over every time. They keep save files separate and all save files sync to your account through uh, cloud services through Microsoft. Um, I've actually had that happen. So I have an Xbox One and it only has a 500 gigabyte hard drive, but I do have a five terabyte external hooked up to it. So space isn't really an issue. But um, when I downloaded certain things like the Fallout 4 season pass, it was keeping Fallout 4 on my hard drive, but wanting to put the season pass DLC content onto my external drive. And it was having problems reconciling that it was having problems like getting it pointed to the correct directory i guess so all i had to do was move fallout like the executable over to the terabyte or the five terabyte hard drive and then everything worked now my save file throughout all of that was just kept on the cloud but i mean i think i think robert really nailed it on the head here as far as space and everything like that i mean I, I had a five terabyte hard drive that I just kind of lucked into. So I know a lot of people run into issues with both the PlayStation four and the Xbox one, as far as hard drive space, because for some reason they decided 500 gigs was good enough. And, you know, you have these games taking up 50, 60 gigs of space at a time. It's not, I mean, honestly, I have every time I buy a game, I have to delete games off my hard drives. Who whoever thought 500 gigs is going to be enough? They must have been in maybe 2012 because I, I, I it's it's not even close. It is not close. It, it no and if you if your memory gets close to being full on your Xbox, I use my Xbox as a uh, as the hub for my media center in my room. <clears throat> I controls it controls my cable. And everything, and um, I was when when my memory got f- filled up, I was having a hard time switching from my TV and going back and forth between the Xbox. You know, so just like this podcast is called "Not Enough Resources," the the memory feels like not enough resources when it comes to that game. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's definitely a consideration, especially considering their install base has these variable sizes of hard drives. I mean, now I think the newer Xbox ones come with one terabyte. But if they're going to be offering, you know, hundreds of games for 10 bucks a month, I think that's a good idea, and I think it's a worthy service. I just don't think they've thought it through for their previous customers, and they're only concerned with customers that have the ability to keep up with that hard drive requirement so I, what I, oh go ahead i'm sorry yeah i, I was just i'm also just want to point out that the, regardless of the the space issues uh I, I do like the fact that this a service like this i think will push developers away from re-releasing halo one for the 15th time since it originally came out because uh, you, you you can put those games like that those those games that that nowadays like you should play for a historical factor and just because they're great games that people are going back and just rebuying over and over again you have it built into a service like that it's it's like having friends on Netflix and and I think that's a I think it also frees up resources for developers to work on on new products and new ideas instead of just copy pasting a remastered version of a, a 12 year old game but i mean that's not the video game industry's fault i mean that model is based off of hollywood hollywood does that every and is it a rights thing like if they don't publish the game every so often they lose rights to it so because they do it with alien but that's like 60 years though it's it's a they, they have plenty of time to hold on to those rights and, and re-release it again but you know they're they're trying to make as much money as possible. Um, I don't I don't think a streaming service is going to take away from uh, a whole 
business line developed to making sure that you're still turning over money when it comes to re-releases. That's just my opinion. I could be entirely wrong. Yeah, well, and I think, honestly, the the biggest uh, perpetrator of all of that would have to be Nintendo. I think I've probably bought Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Metroid probably half a dozen times each, if not more. And, like, that that's a... I don't think that's a problem per se, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm with Dylan on this. I would rather see a new Metroid game, which I mean, I'm a diehard Metroid fan. So that's, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's never going to happen. So, um, but speaking of games and sequels and business, Target leaked the sequel to Shadow of Mordor over the past weekend. They put up a store page, and it was for a game that had yet to be announced. It's the sequel to Shadow of Mordor called Shadow of War, which I'm really, really excited about. I got Shadow of Mordor a couple years ago for Christmas on like a flash sale for 20 bucks for the game of the year edition that had all the DLC. And it was, it's, it's an amazing, amazing game. And I'm surprised that that game has been out as long as it has. And nobody's ripped off the nemesis system, which is fantastic. I never played it because I kind of hate Tolkien, but, uh, a principle here. Principle always matters. Whoa, whoa. But, you can't drop a bomb like that. Why do you hate Tolkien? <laughs> Go on. Well, so the, the Rohirrim, the Rohan people, right? They're supposed to be Vikings, right? And and they're really tall. Horse people don't aren't tall. And I, I know I have this whole thing. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I just can't get over the fact that the, the people from Rohan are tall and, and they're supposed to be based off Vikings. Why would Vikings ever need to ride horses when they're so tall their legs would literally drop off the horse? I know I know, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. So forgive me. But uh that's that's why you say, hate Tolkien. That's it. That's the entire that's it, reason yeah. that you hate like four really great books and six really good movies. Oh, you're being very forgiving when you say those books are great. <laughs> I, I just, wow. No, that's, that's, I mean, I can, I, I can understand like a complaint like that. I, I, I have a few about some pretty popular genres myself, but <clears throat> I, I mean, the, Modern modern fantasy depends on on that man. I can't hate on him. No, no, no. I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. Every everything that we love concerning fantasy is a derivative of Tolkien. Um, so more, you know, I have the utmost respect, and the guy was a genius. Came up with most of the words in the Oxford English Dictionary under the word W. Created his own angle, a language, polyglot, everything. I'm I, I have this really. I'm obsessed with like Norse stuff, and the fact that he made Vikings horse people. I know I'm crazy, but I, I just can't get over it. But anyway, in relation to Shadow Shadow of Mordor, um, I like isn't this whole premise of this game based on like thirty lines out of the Cimmerillion? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Where, what are they gonna do with the Shadow War? What, what is that gonna be based off? We're gonna have a whole other problem with the Hobbit. Will they have a movie franchise based off a two hundred and something page book? There's going to be no meat and potatoes that make the Tolkien verse what it is. So, I I understand what you're saying, but on the flip side of all of that, I think just by the nature of gaming being more interactive, that there's a lot more to gain as an audience member from playing a game than there is from watching a movie. Like, if they choose to take The Hobbit and split it into three movies, that's a bad decision. And that was reflected in box office numbers and critics and things like that. But I think when it comes to games, right, that is a 
one-way conversation between the developer and the player. And if the player wants to spend more time in that world, I don't think we should let a tiny little thing like lore punish that. I I agree. I think like the old republic as an idea um and and even like post uh post like death of vader and palpatine movies star wars stuff is a great reflection of of what you can do with lord of the rings because because honestly i i realized that um i guess not realized but i i want to play a lord of the rings uh rts game I want to play a Lord of the Rings, but you can't set it directly in, in any of the books outside. Of, and, the, and the simulator on, I think I can't even say it has the, the meat and bones that you can use to create like fleshed out game worlds without stepping on lore. That's going to make your hardcore fans cringe and upset, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I mean you, you get away with that when you tackle something like the Silmarillion um, because you literally have hundreds of thousands of years passing in chapters. So, I mean, if I guess if you're saying that because there's more space and time that you can utilize and, you know, people who are hardcore fans of the Silmarillion... Uh, they are a special breed because I am not. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It, it takes a while to get through that. I think it's I had, difficult. I had to read it like three times before I really understood what it was in the context compared to the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. But um, yeah, no shadow of war is going to be if, if shadow of Mordor and the quality of that game, regardless of what franchise it's attached to, if the quality of that game is matched in its sequel, I will be incredibly, incredibly happy. One thing that it did was it has this thing called the Nemesis system, where when you pause the game, it brings up like a list of orcs, and it's got generals and lieutenants and things and commanders and things like that. And they randomly appear in the world. And as you take them out, the forces that you're going up against progressively start to get weaker. But on the flip side of that, if they take you out, they move up in rank and the forces of Mordor start to get stronger. So it's, it's a very interesting system. It's incredibly, incredibly dynamic. And I'm just excited to play with that again because it would be things like this orc general is susceptible to fire. So then you go, okay, well, if he's susceptible to fire, I'm going to climb up on this tower, equip my fire arrows, and then shoot him in the leg. And that'll give him a bonus. But if that general has a lieutenant who inspires bloodlust beyond fear, then all of a sudden that encounter with that general changes completely. And you have to completely change your approach to it and how you want to accomplish those goals. And that's what I'm excited about. Because, I mean, like, the Nemesis system just... It was really the first thing that was like oh, this is what, like, next-gen gaming can do. This is what the power of the Xbox One and the power of the PS4, this is just, like, a tiny little peek behind the curtain because the original game came out, like, as those systems were releasing. It was very shortly after launch that that game came out for both of those systems. So it was kind of like a peek into what the next five, six years of gaming were going to be. And then nobody copied it, which means that nobody copied it. So now it's like, it's its own thing. It's something that is going to be unique to that franchise and something that will stick around for, I hope a long while. Can, can you breed a doomsday orc? Um, can you, can you like kill yourself against the same enemy over and over again until they just, Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Become God. 
Um, I don't know about God, but yeah, I mean, if, if, and that's the thing too, is like, it's not just these lieutenants and commanders and generals. Like if you're in the middle of the open world and a patrol spots you and like random archer goblin or orc gets his, gets a drop on you and kills you, then he will move up in rank and supplant one of the other lieutenants. So like each enemy, whoever lands the killing blow goes up in rank. It's not necessarily the general or the commander or the lieutenant that you're fighting. It's whoever gets the killing blow. So if somebody gets, I would, I would just play with that. Yeah. Would... <laughs> no, you should you should definitely check it out. It's it's amazing. And then like later on in the game, you gain the ability to like brand the orcs, so like you can brand them to do your bidding, and you start doing these things where you'll take like a branded lieutenant and a branded commander and put it up against an unbranded general. And you start making these like strategic, almost like like political thriller power games where you're pitting these commanders against each other so they can take themselves out as opposed to, you know, you going in, you know, with your sword and your bow. It's it's a really, really good game. And it it flew under the radar for a lot of people because it was right after the third Hobbit movie came out and I think a lot of people were burned out on Lord of the Rings, but like game critics in every, every gamer I've ever talked to who tried it. Absolutely loved it. So so, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's all you, man. Without derailing the conversation um, and this podcast, I feel like this generation of consoles has not that the games aren't good, but in terms of what the publishers or the the game developers themselves have learned as an industry, have has like gone has like gone slower. You know, like I feel like when it was Xbox th- Xbox three hundred and sixty and PS three, the games were for what they could do. They were a lot more challenging in terms of how they were pushing the genre forward. This this uh this uh generation and these these development cycles now i i bought less games now as an adult than i have when i was younger you know and i have more disposable income arguably i think part of that has to do with a time people don't have the time to be playing 6 7 8 games at a time right i mean i'm i'm getting a copy of Breath of the Wild in the next couple days, right? And all I can think of is instead of, I want to sit down and enjoy Zelda, all I can think of is, man, I hope I beat this before Mass Effect comes out. <laughs> and like... Oh man, once Mass Effect comes out, goodbye everything else. Well, I'm telling you. and that's the thing though, is like, I feel like having to make those decisions between... Mass Effect and Zelda is is a really difficult decision that I don't want to make. And not to mention, like, whenever a Steam sale comes, like, I buy six or seven games, typically, that I've never played. I have probably 30, 40 games in my backlog that I have never touched. But instead of sitting down and playing those, as soon as Zelda gets here, I am going to go into a gaming coma and do nothing but and like i think that's part of it and then as far as you know the development cycle and pushing things forward and things like that um i think really you have to look at indie games for a lot of those broad stroke changes to gaming as a whole and then honestly people need to stop buying call of duty and battlefield Well, I was I was actually gonna say I think the the Wii, um, I mean, it, the the number of Wii consoles sold at right when it came out, like that first Christmas where you couldn't find one on the shelves, I think pushed development growth on the Xbox and the PlayStation Three, the 360 and the PlayStation Three because 
they were competing with this crazy controller system. And, and so I think that's, that's part of the reason. And, and now like people have realized that that's not what they want. That's not what people are looking for. And so we're not getting that push in, in our games. Cause there's not like a, like the indie games don't feel like they're competing, I guess. Well, and I think, I think that's, that's a bigger issue with gaming as a whole. There's, two routes to take, right? If you're making a game, producing a game, there are two routes. You either go indie, under the radar, get critical acclaim and sell only to hardcore gamers, or you go AAA. And, you know, you have a budget of a bazillion dollars and a million commercials and a million events and things like that. And there's no more middle ground. And I think... That's a huge problem. I mean, I remember on the original Xbox, there was uh, a weird, what was it called? I want to say it was called like Dark Watch or something like that. And it was a first person shooter where you played as a vampire and you had to like make all of these decisions of how do you keep building your health while running and gunning at the same time. Do you take that headshot or do you try and sneak up behind so you can regain health by drinking his blood? Like all of those interesting decisions and things like that, you don't see in mainstream gaming. You do see in indie gaming, but indie gaming is exclusively a gamer thing. You know, there's, there's not, I couldn't I couldn't take an indie game and like pitch it to my brother and sell it. But I could take a Halo or a Call of Duty and pitch it to my brother and sell it without breaking a sweat. Yeah. Your your esport gamers too are are it's more prevalent and are gonna play one game for years. Uh, Well, and I blame I actually blame a couple different things on that. Um I blame Xbox Live because all of a sudden you got those kids that would just sit and play Halo 2 and Halo 3 just nonstop, but they wouldn't play anything else. So there's only one game to play. But, you know, as a business, you, you still have to monetize that. You still have to be able to make money off of that. So you start selling DLC packs. But now you're seeing the fallout of that is... People are playing too many games and not sticking with one game at a time. Titanfall 2, all of the DLC for it, completely free. All you have to do is have Titanfall, and then when you connect to servers, it goes, oh, you don't have it, here's the update, they don't charge you for it. Halo 5, completely free, no DLC. You just have to buy the base game. And I think, optimally, as a consumer... That's where I want the industry to go. I want it to go, I pay 60 bucks once, and you're going to keep augmenting this experience for me at no additional cost to me. Perfect. That's awesome. But that's not realistic for a lot of developers. So, now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> um, there are a couple things that I want to touch on about the Nintendo Switch that I think... Are, one is really, really bad, and one is interesting. I don't know if it's bad. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is how much do you guys like friend codes? Bleh. That's it? That's, <laughs> that's it? Just bleh? Or, I don't know what that is. I don't have a Switch. Okay, so friend codes were introduced on the Wii, and they were introduced on the 3DS, and then they took them away for the Wii U. And what a friend code is, is it's like a 12-digit number that's randomly assigned to you, and in order to add friends to the list of your like friends list on gaming and things like that, is you have to exchange those 12-digit codes back and forth with each other. So it can't just be like, oh, find me on Xbox, my gamer tag is Ryan M. Holt. You have to go, okay, well, what's your friend code? Oh, it's a randomly assigned 12-digit string of numbers. Okay, well, I'm going to write that down, and here's my friend code. It's a randomly assigned 12-digit string of numbers. I have to add you, you have to add me, and then 
it just goes from there. Which is just I I don't know. It's 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 bad. That sounds terrible. I'm oh, glad I have an Xbox. Yeah, it's it's the absolute worst. If you played uh, Fire Emblem Heroes, it's the same thing. Okay, and then um, the last thing for news I want to touch on, and then I know, Robert, you said that you had a previous engagement that you had to go to, which is totally fine. But the last thing I want to touch on, which I think is hilarious and scary and incredibly smart, apparently Switch games taste really bad if you put them in your mouth. Ooh, this cartridge tastes so good. There's no way I can finish it. Did you did did you read why they're doing this? No. Um. So I, uh, I mean, to keep kids from from eating them, which I mean, if they're just SD cards, then yeah, it's a great idea. I I've I've done this with uh, like I have a lot of younger siblings, and when we were getting them to like stop using pacifiers we would um dip them in uh in potato vodka (laughs) any kid that got a taste of potato vodka would be like no i don't want that ever again so i it's genius and and really funny so it's really weird though like it's more of the adults that like found out that's where it gets weird. Well, yeah, that that's weird too. But like Nintendo sat down in R and D and was like, I have an idea in order to make sure our games don't get swallowed. Let's coat them in something. And it's just like, what? <laughs> who, who thinks of that? Who thinks that far out of the box? There is there no is box. No box. <laughs> Why would you put a? How much do Switch games cost? Sixty bucks. Why would you put something that costs sixty dollars in your mouth? When you're seven, you'll put anything in your mouth, dude. Fair point. But if you're an adult, why would you do it then? I, I yeah, and that's the thing is like, how did modern games journalism? figure this out like which one of them was like i'm gonna put it in my mouth like (laughs) like who why why are we hearing about this now i would rather hear about it you know three weeks from now when a seven-year-old tries to swallow it and spits it out because it tastes bad and it saved his life instead we get to hear about you know middle-aged men trying to swallow sd cards (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's absurd it is the weirdest feature in the world but it's genius right yeah no it is i mean and, and it's you got to go with the the whole like the shadows of of mordor they target messed up on a thing that you wouldn't be able to see unless you searched for that specifically somebody is sitting around looking for that yeah, I don't know. That must have been a so weird. Somebody's gonna lick a game cartridge. Yeah, uh, that must have just been like a really weird like focus group. <laughs> there's there's a rule thirty four joke here somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there <laughs> is. All right. Well, Robert, if you have to bounce out, go ahead. Um, thank you so much for joining us and talking about Ghost Recon. I'm I'm eager to hear what you think of it once it comes out. No worries. I was going to say, yeah, when we do this again, the game should have already dropped. Hopefully, fingers crossed, if I can be diligent, I can get a review up on the website um, once it drops. But yeah, if you want to have me back, uh, I would love to come back on and talk about it. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I will go ahead and close you out now. Have a great night. Thank you. Y'all have a good evening, and uh, I hope the conversation continues to go well. Perfect. Take care, guys. Thanks. Have Cheers. a good night. All right, Dylan, me and you, we are moving on to the competitive corner. What do you got for us? Any cool esports stuff? Uh, two things. One is like a really short blurb. Um, and it, it's the two, I think the two best League of Legends teams in the world played uh, a best of three set. I think it was last night um, between SKT and KTR. KTR is kind of a Korean super team. Um, that's KT. That's rebuilt. That's KT Rollster, right? KT Rollster, yeah. Um, 
so I think it was three years ago then they they called it the Korean Exodus um there were Samsung owned two teams they had sister teams Samsung white and Samsung blue they both went to the finals of the world championship um dominated like every game and then they like left because china was like take millions of dollars and so all those players left korea and so we saw like new korean uh rookies kind of come in and then this year they came back well some of them came back and they kind of partnered with another team um the tigers that fell apart um and and formed like a super team that features uh the the best support player of all time um and they, they played against SKT, who are historically the best League of Legends team ever. They've won the World Championship three times. Um, and they have uh, Faker, the unkillable Demon King, as their mid laner. He's the highest paid esports player, I believe. And um, he's, he's the best League of Legends player probably to ever play the game. He's the Michael Jordan of League of Legends. Um, and... They went toe to toe last night, and SKT won two to one on the on the series. Whoa, that's awesome! That's awesome. I, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it. I haven't. It was at three a.m. It's, it's it was played in Korean time, but it was uh it, it went to three games. I'm definitely gonna watch game three. They're saying game three might have been might be the the best game of league ever. All right. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad you're looking forward to it. And you said you had two things. What was the other thing you wanted to mention? The other thing was uh, the Intel Extreme Masters was two weekends ago. Mm -hmm. And um, the League of Legends side of it, what used to be like people looked forward to it and and were excited, was a total nightmare, both in production quality and in the fact that all of the teams, I think, every team that got invited uh, for the first round of invites declined. Um, except for like one uh and so it was like a awkward like second round of invites the the league of legends championship series the normal like set of games that go on every weekend the league um suspended like that weekend so that teams could go to iem and lots of them were just like no i don't really want to go and so like other teams had to go and <laughs> it was just awkward and then the, apparently the production quality was really bad um and I just, I, I'm sad. Like that, that used to be some of the biggest tournaments period. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of big tournaments, did you see that dream hacks going to be in Denver in October? I did. And I am super hyped. I'm gonna have to go to that. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm definitely going to have to go. Um, we're going to, we're, we'll, we'll talk more and figure that out. Um, the big, I, I honestly, uh, just real fast on that for you. Yeah. Bond, uh, if you want to put together like an Overwatch squad, um, I, I'm willing to learn that game, uh, All right. and, and get into it. If 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 I if I'm playing with six people, um, uh, and and I'm, I might be I might be playing League at at the Dreamhack here, so I, I don't know. We'll see. Cool, cool. I'll definitely look out for that for sure. Um, I might take you up on that. But since you mentioned Overwatch, um. Blizzard unveiled un, unveil, un, uh, revealed yep yep Blizzard revealed a new hero today um, Arisa and she's on the PTR and she is a giant centaur robot that haunts my dreams um, robot centaur yeah no she's 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 awesome I played three games with her on the PTR um, it's live now. And she is just kicking all sorts of ass. Um, she's going to completely change the meta for sure because she is a tank that is almost as mobile as D.Va, but without the flying. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how the meta evolves around her addition um, she has this really cool ability where she shoots like a little black hole and wherever the black hole passes, if anybody walks by it, it will slow them down and then you can press the button again to detonate. And when you detonate it, it does damage, but it's, 
and it also pulls people in before it does the damage. So that's really cool. Um, and then she also has the ability to throw down a barrier similar to Reinhardt's, but it's a thrown object, um, kind of like uh, Sombra's teleporter. So you have to throw it first, which I, I the first game I played, I, I made a mistake, pressed the button thinking it would just drop it right at my feet. And then I threw it like completely wrong direction and got headshotted like two seconds later. <laughs> But I'm, I'm looking forward to coming out because I uh, I really I'm a fan of the the dirty bastion, um and and the changes that went on him and I feel like that that thrown shield with a, a bastion behind it will be really fun. Yeah, um, actually they and that was the other Overwatch news that broke is they're probably going to nerf Bastion um, from his changes. They're probably going to they're they're going to keep the changes where he can still repair while moving and things like that. But apparently some of the uptick on his repair is too good. Like you can stand in point blank middle of a Pharaoh ult. And as long as you hit heal, you can heal through it. So like, yeah, they're, they're, they're changing that. Uh, no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> Just leave it. Just leave it. Just just force the community to adapt, to force the meta to evolve. Yeah, yeah. Give it a couple of weeks, guys. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be. <laughs> let me let me play my placement games first. Yeah, it, it'll be really really interesting to see how that nerf goes through. Um, and then the second thing I want to bring up for competitive side of things, I I haven't watched any of it because I don't want to be spoiled, but apparently people are already speedrunning Breath of the Wild, which is absurd. Um, and I, I honestly, I think this is all Nintendo's fault. Um, Nintendo had come out earlier, very, very early in the press circuit for Breath of the Wild and said, if you want to go fight the boss without a shirt and a wooden stick, you can go right there from the tutorial. And, I mean, that 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 sounds like a challenge thrown down to me. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. So, people are already trying to give, give Nintendo a run from their money there, which, I mean, good for them. Good for them. But, yeah... Um, I haven't watched any of them because I want to avoid spoilers. I do know that there is one person who has completed a speed run with two bosses. So they hit two bosses to get certain items and power-ups. I don't know what those items are because I'm avoiding it all. But they hit two bosses to get certain items and power-ups and then go straight to the final boss. So... I, and I'm not no no spoilers here. I, I don't want to do that to anybody. I watched um, about 30 minutes of the speed run, kind of skipped through uh, pieces of the beginning and the and the middle part. The speedrunner I had watched had broken it down into kind of three pieces. Um, and uh, as far as a speedrun game goes, Breath of the Wild is really exciting. Um, I don't want to like say too much, but the way that that items work in the game make that wooden stick idea possible but also not which means that we have five ten even more years where i think we'll see the speed run for the game change consistently um unless somebody like goes through the code and finds some crazy thing like the backwards jump through the great Deku tree on, on Oot, like there's a lot of potential for like nifty little tricks and, and skips and, and time cuts that you can do from what I've seen that if, if I wanted to get into speedrunning, running breath of the wild looks awesome for it. Um, it looks like there's going to be a lot of route diversity um, just from the little bit that I've looked at. I, I, Sort of avoiding spoilers. Unfortunately, unlike you, I'm not going to get to play the game probably for at least a few months. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah. Once I'm done with it and moved on to Mass Effect, I'll let you borrow it. Um, <laughs> you the best. <laughs> but it, so, so you're saying like 
because of it. it, I'm trying to phrase this without going too heavily into the spoilers. So is this, you're saying the route diversity and the skips and the optimal route and things like that is just going to constantly change that because of the nature of how big the game is? Is it because it's open-ended? Because, like, I've seen speedruns before of, like, open-ended games, and, like, they seem pretty formulaic and broken down. And broken down? I So the way that I... It's it's broken down, and there's, like, the opening section, which is, is the Great Plateau. Uh, I don't think that gives, gives no. away anything. No, no, I um, knew that. So, mo- yeah, so you start in the Great Plateau, and to get off of it, then you have to get your glider um there there's like kind of specific tasks that you need to do in order to get the glider to get off the great plateau from the great plateau you can run straight to hyrule castle and go after the boss go after the big bad and and beat the game however uh because items have durabilities then the boss has too many hit points. So coming up with a way to have the right set of items to both get to the boss uh, and to defeat the boss, to, to do enough damage to defeat the boss means that there will be um, more than one iteration of the fastest way to do it, as well as theoretically, you can get off the great plateau without getting the glider. Theoretically. Nobody's done it yet uh, as of, of the articles that I've read and as of what I've watched, but it's not impossible as far as like mechanics go. There's not like a, a invisible wall or a cutscene that will keep you from getting off the plateau. So you have room to cut there. Um, you have room to cut out on like item location, how many there are. You could, when, once you leave the Great Plateau on the glider, then there'll be like a specific routes where if you can end up up on a hill and jump off the hill you'll use less stamina and to move faster because you're gliding and so like that's like little optimization stuff that you'll find in travel so it's i'm i'm excited from it from the fact that like huge open world game where there's lots of things that you can do and explore i also love the idea of of beating it i had a a friend in elementary school that uh helped me um, finish the water temple in Ocarina of Time and he had a version of Ocarina of Time, a save file on his where he got as few things as possible. So he beat the game with three heart pieces, no like lens of truth, um, just skipped like as many items as he could and and I always thought that was really cool and so I like the idea that you you can do this in Breath of the Wild. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, I will be writing the review for Rogue's Portal, and um, I've given myself a self-imposed deadline of a week. I have a week to beat it. So Do it! Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's It sounds like it's going to be a lot. I've heard 70-plus hours, so... Do you... Because um, I have a, a play... My first playthrough on games like that, I, I tend to, to overly commit to, to doing every side quest and collecting every little thing. Um, do you have that, that mentality or do you have like a hit the big plot points and go and go finish the game? Um, kind of a mix of both. I think it really depends on the game. So like fallout four, right? The first thing I did as soon as I got the main quest is I took it off my quest tracker. I still had it in my inventory, but like I took it off the quest tracker and I don't think I finished the main quest in Fallout 4 until I was at least 250 hours into the game. Wow. Yeah. Like, I, and, and it was like, and I don't know, because part of me was like, I wish I didn't do that, because by the time I did all of the story stuff, I was so grossly overpowered, I was, like, one-shotting guys. And, like, it's it's... In open world games, it's so hard to find that balance. But like when I play something like, say, like Shadows of Mordor or um, Assassin's Creed, things like that, I'm the guy that'll just say, screw the story. There's a million little collectibles on my map. I'm going to get all those. 
Yeah. I that's how like I that's how I feel about like Assassin's Creed and that that the Assassin's Creed does that to me and that makes me want to jump off a bridge. So like I have to be really careful with uh with getting into games like that cuz every eagle eye point, every feather, every um every bug in those which but Zelda for some reason Zelda can do what it wants and I'll I'll, I'll do every little thing that it asks me cuz it's it's the Legend of Zelda yeah. franchise. So Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dylan. I also want to say thank you again thank, to Robert. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I also want to say thank you again for Robert for joining us, even though he had to, did have to leave early. That is totally okay. But thank you so much, and uh, we will talk to you guys again in another two weeks. And as always, don't forget, be kind to your fellow gamers. Thanks. Bye.